Hello and welcome to this episode of the Electric Shadows podcast. Tonight you are joined by Rob Daniel, editor of Electric Shadows, and my learned colleague Rob Wallace, editor of The Wonderful of All the Film Blogs. Thank you very much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a February evening. We've had Deadpool come out. We will have Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, out in about a month's time. So it seems that the uh, the superhero season is upon us and is soon to come forth in a tidal wave. So what better time to take stock of where we are right now with superhero films and superheroes on the small screen. Wait! You may be wondering why the red suit. Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Daddy needs to express some rage. Still give it to you. Boys! Mm. Bruce Wayne meets Clark Kent. I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow, wow. That is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. What was that? I should kill everyone and escape? Sorry. The voices. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. So just to run through what we have got to look forward to this year. So we obviously have Deadpool out now. We have Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice out in March 25th. Apparently May 6th is when we will see Captain America Civil War. May 27th, X-Men Apocalypse. June the 3rd, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Yes, (laughs) it counts. It's based on a comic. We probably won't be talking about that too much in this episode, uh, because I'm well, I'm speaking for you here, but are you a, a TMNT fan? Um, no, let's, let's say... But a uh, random trivia fact. I'm not sure whether it was retconned, but the, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created in the same accident that gave Daredevil his, uh, his superpowers, involving the spillage of nuclear waste. Oh, what? So the nuclear waste went down into the sewers and... Wow. That's... More interest. I I find that more interesting than I should do, which I think says more about me than it does about the writers at Marvel. Okay, August fifth, Suicide Squad. This is the one that I am quietly holding out for as uh, a great superhero movie. And then we have in November fourth, it says here, but I think this has been changed. Doctor Strange. It may have been pushed back. I think it's I think it's towards the end of November. We will have to check that out. So to begin with, Deadpool. So Deadpool has come out. It's done phenomenally well at the box office. Um, I've taken everyone by surprise. It's as meta as you can get. Um, and While still having a narrative. While still still having a narrative, yeah. Then, and that's the thing, is that... Okay, so we've got we've got Deadpool. It has it's an R rated comic book. As if this is the a brand new concept that's taken the world by storm. I think everyone's forgetting the Crow, Dread, Spawn, Spawn. No, I, I think the Spawn was a PG thirteen, but the new Spawn is going to be an R. The Punisher, which was um, the Dolph Lundgren one from nineteen eighty nine, Punisher Warzone, which I think was two thousand and eight or two two thousand and nine. Is that the Ray Stevenson one? Or? Yeah, that's the um, the one directed by the woman who did Green Street. Oh, um, oh what was her name? Was it? Was it Lenny's? Not Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> that <laughs> seems <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> seems a bit unlikely. Although Green Street definitely had a certain fascist 
tendency to it. As did Punisher Warzone, it had to be said. Um, but we're not saying that she's as bad as uh, uh, as Lenny Riefenstahl. It was directed, of course, by Lexi Alexander and was not very good. But The Crow was a, a good R-rated comic book movie. Dread, of course, was um, one of the you know, criminally underappreciated hidden gems of our time. The Punisher, the Dolph Lundgren one, I remember you know, watching that on video years and years ago. It was fine. So what I'm trying to say here is that we've had R-rated comic book films before. This is not new. But does it bring anything new to the table? Um... I think it brings uh, well. The, I'd say I'd argue the main plot as uh, is totally by the numbers. It's man gets superpowers, man takes down the baddies, man regains his lost love. But it's done with a healthy dose of fourth wall breaking and lots of anarchic humour. And yeah, it's you know, it it's imaginative and funny enough within all of that that you don't begrudge it too much the trappings of getting from A to B yeah I think you're right I think that um, I was hoping that I would hate Deadpool so you and I could have a um, (laughs) so you would over defend it and I would over criticise it to be honest I watched Deadpool and it was exactly what I thought it was going to be Um, a not particularly subversive superhero film that has crunchier violence than uh, than we've been used to for a while unless you've seen Dread the humour was good, I think it over relied on, on the dick jokes and the F word I think that's just fundamentally part of the character, I think that I think that's just Deadpool, you know he's returning to, you know, incredibly meta, incredibly juvenile and anarchic and it, the film had to embrace that, the film had to sort of go full out and say okay this is this dude you know, he's 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 not quite one of the X Men. He's one of the Marvel bunch, but hey, we're Fox, and you know, this is Ryan Reynolds making lots of dick jokes and making fun of himself, which was which was nice. It was, and I kind of thought the film opened in a really strong way, and it seemed to me like if David Fincher was to make a superhero film, this might be in the ballpark of what he would turn out because the opening shot, which is a faux bullet time shot through a gunfight uh, through, through a crashing car through, through a, a mid car wreck yes it's mid car wreck with lots of guns and stuff going off I think um, but it is in a car wreck yeah reminded me a lot of Fight Club and some of the weird animations in that particularly the animation where it pulls out of a bin out of like a Starbucks coffee cup or something like that so I thought okay this is really interesting the um, uh, the opening credits were good uh so to spoil it a little bit, it doesn't really give anyone's names. It just gives a commentary on what the film thinks of these people. It's all very self-deprecating and you know, mocking its own you know, cast and uh, creators. Apart from the writer's credit. Yes, indeed. And what do the writers get billed as? Something like the real heroes? No, the, the real heroes. <laughs> Although I'd say that the writers on this film maybe had lo- yeah, had watched a lot of other superhero films before then and had said, right, let's take that, that and that. And now let's put in some dick jokes just here, here, and here. Um, there is, I think, there's an extent that the credits do lampshade some of the weaknesses of the film. In that, you know, uh, the, uh, the, 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 they've got a credit for generic British villain played by I'm going to say Ed Scrain. It could be pronounced Scrine. Ed Scrain. Let's go with Let's go with Scrain. Scrain, who plays Ajax, 
who is the sort of very generically powered, smirky villain of the piece. He's kind of the um, the inverted warped reflection of Deadpool, isn't he? Which is the yeah the traditional yeah nemesis will always kind of bear a resemblance to the hero, but be the inverse of that. And yeah, he's um, so he can feel no pain, um, but uh, likes to inflict a lot of pain. I mean, my thing with Deadpool was that I thought, okay, we are watching here a a geek fantasy, and that seems yeah quite obvious when you're talking about uh, superhero films and all films, well, all yeah, mainstream blockbusters of wish fulfillment and fantasy on some level. But this seemed particularly aimed at that geek market, like so yeah, Deadpool. Or Wade Wilson, when we first meet him, he's like a charismatic loner who is first seen you know, defending a girl against her stalker, and he's he's very funny with it. And um, even though he's like a loner, people are drawn to him. He then he, he feels like a character Shane Black might have written. Yeah, he feels like a character that Shane Black might have written that then kind of would be polished up by Shane Black when he said, okay, right, I've got all that down now, now let's go back and do a repolish. But you're right, he's very much like a Shane Black. This could have been, if this was 15 years ago, this this could have been Robert Downey Jr. doing it or something like that. So yeah, so he's a charismatic loner who is steeped in pop culture. Pretty much everything he says is a reference to pop culture. So you're thinking, well, this is not a million miles away from the boys who read these comics. He then has a personal tragedy uh, that then means that, in a weird way, he's able to see how people would react to him after he dies. He is born Christ-like as a superhero, and although he is uglified, the hot girl still kind of wants him. Not even that uglified. No, it's a bit Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky, isn't it? It's like, well, your face is a bit wonky, mate, but you're not hideous. This is. It feels like, given all the other leaps in the film, you're sort of going, you can get some skin grafts. They literally, like, you know, they gave a guy a face a couple of weeks back. Yes. Like, you know, so surely you can do something with that. You know, you don't have to go on a massive, you know, a roaring rampage of revenge. You can just go see a doctor. That's right. You have a. It looks like you've had like a slightly bad nut allergy here, and um, so you're a little bit puffy. Yeah, you're broken out a little bit, but I think that if you were to um, you know, get some E45 cream, just get some moisturiser, you know, get yourself to the doctor, then yeah, you'll be fine with and this. And you've still it's got fine. Ryan Reynolds' cheekbones, so... Yeah, you still have that perfectly sculpted face. It's like there is a lot of clay you can put on that face before it becomes ugly. So yeah, so it's it just seemed like, okay, this is the ultimate geek fantasy, basically. So we are watching this, and it is funny, and Deadpool as a character is funny, but like a lot of the people that you hear talking at you know, certain conventions, um, it's, funny. it's not as funny as it thinks it is. And while I laughed, or I chuckled my way through it, I'm struggling now to remember anything that I laughed at. Um... Yeah, my, my thing was it wasn't so much a matter of the one line. He's a he, he's a motor mouth. Yes. So there's there's a lot of verbiage to work through. But I think I think there are some good you know, some good gags. There is a, a black knight Monty Python aping bit of self inflicted injury. There is that's and that is funny. There's um, a nice reference to Taken and the flaws of taking a franchise on a film or two beyond what the central premise can hold up. Um, that made me laugh. There's a reference to the X Men franchise. Well, there are and not numerous references to the X Men franchise in, term, in that it, it it features two, well, one previously seen X Men with a new actor and another as yet unseen X person. 
Yes. Um, uh, but a, a very meta reference to the franchise itself as a franchise. And that's, yeah, we'll get onto that in just a second. I've, um, I just remembered one other thing that made me laugh, which was International Women's Day. Yeah. <laughs> well, did we just leave it at that? Shall yeah, we? we leave it at that. You will laugh when you see the film. Um, International Women's Day, that's one of the, I thought, one of the cleverer jokes in there. It still is a dick joke. And yeah, so the new X person is Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Um, which is, as Deadpool says, is a super cool name. So her power is that she can create nuclear blasts, essentially. Right, okay. Which I'm not sure how it works in the context of that film because Deadpool's very, very you know, human wife, who may and I don't know that you know, who may well have some sort of comic power in the in the comics, is present for a lot of those nuclear blasts. And it kind of felt a little bit like the final sequence of the most recent Die Hard film, where you go, "Oh no!" So you just you just die three months after this from yes. massive exposure to radiation. See, I did not get even though she's called Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which sounds cool, but like a literally translated Japanese <laughs> manga hero. I didn't get the fact that they were that they were nuclear blasts at the end. I thought just she was just like... energy. Yeah, I thought it was like Sue Storm from um, Fantastic Four just doing her energy you know, pulses and, and, and sending stuff out like that. So I didn't... But yeah, you're right. There was a huge amount of radiation being thrown around there if they are nuclear blasts, but... Also, is it wrong of me to say that I, I, I know that I know they had a separate body actor and voice actor and various other actors who played Colossus previously seen... Well, I think most recently seen in Days of Future Past. Yes, but he sounded a fair, or well, not unlike, let's say, one of those meerkats who's trying to sell you car insurance. Yeah, and I wondered if that was one of those cases where they they made him sound a bit more comedy Russian to fit in with the tone of the film. And when we see Colossus in the next X Men movie, if he's in X Men Apocalypse, it will be a completely different reading of the character. I don't know. Should we give? Is it is it worth giving a rundown of the plot of Deadpool? Um. I think we've I think we've almost said enough on that. I think we yeah. have, haven't we? Because it is, you know, very <laughs> slight. It, yeah, it's, it's very it, it's a set up for a lot of crunchy action and dick jokes, which is which is no bad film, bad, no bad thing. I, I'm glad that it's done incredibly well, and that we are going to get more R-rated superhero films. Though that, of course, that's not the uh, remedy to any you know to creative sort of entropy, but. It's, yeah, not too much. Uh, not too much needs to be said about the plot. I'm also, uh, I find it interesting that films like Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy, any film that's slightly inventive and not, I'm not going to say insincere, but I'm going to say sort of has that edge to it, it, kind of gets almost automatically gets a pass in a way that going to jumping over to the DC films like Batman vs Superman. Films that are a little bit more self-serious, a little bit more operatic, you know, I, I, I don't get. And that was the thing about Deadpool, I thought, was um, it was oddly sweet in a way. It was, I mean, it is basically a love story. Um, it is not in any way subversive. I don't think that, that swearing and a bit of crunchy violence is going to make you subversive. There was nothing about the plot that really broke any new ground. It was just... And it, I think a lot of it actually rode on Ryan Reynolds' uh, charisma and likability. Yeah, and yeah, and I think this sort of public perception, which you know, 
the the public realization of how much he's been fighting to do this for how mm. many years. I mean, there are there are you know a couple of jokes at the expense of sort of Green Lantern, as well as sort of you know his sort of his celebrity persona. And yeah, there is a, there is there is perceived willingness to for, for, him, uh, for him to take jabs at himself. But the thing is, if you look at, I mean, he's taken some some interesting roles in his time. I mean, if you look, I mean, yeah, he was in R.I.P.D., which was another comic book film of his that failed, um, the same as Green Lantern. Uh, I thought that R.I.P.D. was was a better film than Green Lantern, and I actually quite liked it. Although a friend of mine did point out, this is Ghostbusters, isn't it? Like, you know, it's, it's 30 years down the line, and they still can't get any original ideas. We're just With doing less Ghostbusters. charm and arguably worse effects. Yeah, I would probably say that the effects at the end are pretty, you know, pretty poor. I thought there were some really good ideas in R.I.P.D. I thought that Jeff Bridges was was great in just yeah chewing what, the scenery, just playing the, ca- the same character in True Grit, just playing Rooster Cogburn again. He was playing a unearthly, ghostly yeah Rooster Cogburn. That's right. Um, but if you look at you know, Ryan Reynolds, I mean, yeah, he's done a lot of. It's an odd, odd career. He's done a lot of films that are just. Yeah, trying to get a big payday. But then he's done things like Buried. And did you see Buried? I saw Buried on a plane. Did you? Okay, Which so... was a somewhat interesting... Yeah, uh, sort of, you know, inside a metal box, watching a film about a man buried inside a box. Yes. Um, actually has one of my... Probably has my worst nightmare in it. He is in a box, uh, and he, at one point, uh, discovers that he's sharing it with a snake. Oh, come on, it's not, the snake's not going to kill you. I think if I was him in that box and I was in and I realised there was a snake sharing my space, I wouldn't have been buried for very long. But um, <laughs> for me, I mean, you know, it'd be you know in a box and finding that I'm sharing the space with a shark. But that seems somewhat less likely. I think that is less likely. Um, for me, other than a snake, I suppose it would be uh, yeah trapped in there with a Transformers movie or something like that. <laughs> I want to watch that over and over and with uh, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. Yes, but even that I'd say would be wouldn't be as bad as yeah, but at least as the Transformers film. But at least then you could you know, you know if you had the snake and the Transformers film in there, at least you could you know use one to hold the snake at bay. Yes, yes, <laughs> very good. But buried. I mean, I remember a film. Sorry, I remember a friend after the screening that we went to came out and said, surely he should get some acting awards for that because he literally was the only person on on screen for the entire movie, and. If that doesn't get you a Best Actor award, then what does? Because by the end of that film, credits just rolled with complete and utter hushed silence from the audience. And it was at that point I thought, okay, Ryan Reynolds, you you can do this. This is like Brad Pitt with Seven. You yeah, you suddenly realise they can do their job. So there's buried. There's also the voices, which was yeah, just before. So came out in 2014 and is a much more subversive film than Deadpool. Again, is quite meta in terms of how it uses Ryan Reynolds. He's um he's basically someone with a psychopathically split personality disorder who uh, believes that his cat is telling him to do terrible things and his dog is trying to talk him into doing good things. So it's like a good and bad angel. It's a black comedy. It's I thought was uh, was very surprising in some of the avenues that it went down. It's quite chilling in terms of how he portrays uh, someone who has no control over over what he's doing but is trying to be a nice guy while he's doing it and seemed a you know, like a, a weirdly apt dry run for Deadpool 
Yeah, I'd say there's uh, obviously the play in that was yeah slightly towards the uh, psychological realism, well in, in absurdity, and Deadpool is very much about. I mean, they, we can't, you can't overstate there are lots of dick jokes in that. Film. There are lots of dick jokes in Deadpool, but the voices ironically has more in common with Deadpool than Ryan Reynolds' first appearance as Deadpool. Yeah, I, yeah. Which again is something they take they poke fun at. They do, don't they? Well, I think they say some lines. Can we spoil it here? Yeah, it's not a massive spoiler. They say something along the lines of you know, of, you know, you take you know a character who's you know renowned for talking and sew his mouth up. Yes, <laughs> it is weird. I mean, this is a. It was odd that he appeared at the end of the of the cumbersomely titled. X Men Origins Wolverine. Wolverine. Is that the, was that? I mean, I, I, yeah, because I get the I, th- I get the impression they were expecting to do other X Men Origins films that they were gonna they were gonna do. Well, that essentially just became the whole the whole um, first class Days of Future Past style. It, it did. I think after it's weird, isn't it? Because X Men Origins Wolverine, and it is that. I thought it was much longer, but no, it yeah, is he that. hasn't. I mean, Ryan Reynolds really hasn't done that many films since then, has he? I mean, that was back in two thousand. That was seven years ago, and he's done maybe not. He's not done. He's done a, a fewer than a dozen films. Which you know, you know, when you when you when you when you when you hear like you know, a, a, it's about seventeen films since okay, then. Okay, okay. So um, that, was my, that my maths was completely. But yeah, even so, when you think you know, he's not leading roles in in a good few of them some of the, a couple a few of them there are like you know uncredited or mm. voice roles and that's you know that's a couple of weeks work indeed i think the thing I and mean, the weird thing with x-men origins wolverine um is that it was a hit that was largely seen as a failure wasn't it yeah. um partly because it was leaked online um so therefore everyone could see what I hear was a much more interesting version because half the effects weren't completed so you could see how things looked before they were all you know, tidied up, which everyone said made the film much more interesting. But also, yeah, X-Men Exposed. First Class yeah. became X-Men First Class, not X-Men Origins First Class. So that was a, a series that was quickly done away with because, um, and I think the Hugh Jackman came out and said that Wolverine wasn't what he wanted it to be and that the Wolverine was much more what he wanted the first Wolverine and film Wolverine to be. Wolverine 3 seems likely to be R-rated. Yeah, so we're going to have an R-rated Wolverine film, which, again, okay, so let's get into R-rated films and what we can expect from an R-rated superhero, or like a glut of R-rated superhero films. So we've already had some with The Crow and Punisher and Punisher Warzone and Dread. Everyone should should watch Dread. <laughs> I will keep saying that. It um, is great. It is great. And if you watch it and buy it on DVD and basically throw money at it, it might get a sequel. Well, I read an interview with Carl Urban who said that's not how things happen, unfortunately. That he gets a lot of tweets and Facebook fan mail and stuff saying, I bought Dread and I'm persuading all my films or my friends to buy Dread. So we're going to get you that sequel and he's saying this just isn't, it was seen as a flop. And no matter how well it does on DVD or on Blu-ray, it's not going to get a sequel. But... There's an online petition now, isn't there, to for Netflix or for Amazon to pick it up as a series, which could work. Which, yeah, you look at Daredevil and yeah, I would, I and I would watch that. I think a lot of people would. I would watch a Dread series. I think it'd be very good. But as as with all these things, um, so something does really well. Oh, you, oh, actually, you know what? Even a Dread miniseries. Yeah, and they could call it a Sense of Dread. A Sense of Dread. <laughs> 
Yes, okay. Right, so we can cut that one. No, I'm leaving it in so that the whole world will see your crime. Yes, as is always the way with these things, Hollywood uh, reveals its lack of imagination when... So, th- so something is done very well, and th- so therefore everything that comes after it has to be the same as this. So we are going to get R-rated superhero films now, which you could say is an evolution of the form in the same way that comics basically went from something that were aimed at children to something that were aimed at teens, and as the audience has grown up, we're now getting them for I, adults. I think that's a very adults. nice way to look at it. I think that's, I think that's a very uh, very profound, very charitable way of looking at it. Uh, you know, what is a response you said to a, to a box... What, what could well turn out to be a box office fluke? What was wagging what here? Because we've had... Was Fox who of course had a massive flop last year with Fantastic Four, did they think, right, let's just let's just you know, give them whatever they want and we'll give them a budget that was fifty three million, if you believe IMDB, that was cut from sixty million, and we'll give them this yeah, manageable budget and we'll just let them do what they I want. I think it's the marketing. I think it, I think they've been given a free reign. Because because Deadpool is juvenile and off the wall and out there the marketing's really embraced that. The marketing, you know, there's the, the the emoji billboard which has, you know, a skull, a poo, and the letter N, L, Deadpool. <laughs> and, you know, the films, you know, the trailers capture that sense of fun and you've got, you know, they're marketing it as a Valentine's Day film, which, you know, it, it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, it's a love story. If you, you know, if you are, you know, with a like-minded spouse... You could definitely, you know, there is there is a romantic component to that film, which I think even even if you're not with a like-minded spouse, even if they're just going along expecting to see a superhero film, because he actually calls that out, because of course there of is course. lots of Alfie-style smashing of the fourth wall, and he says at one point, if your girlfriend is getting a bit worried that she thought she was coming along to a superhero film, don't worry, there will be superhero things in this or something like that. And Ryan Reynolds, I think it could be with this more than Fantastic Four, because Fantastic Four looked like the... Uh, Dog's Dinner? Yeah, it did. And it also looked like the um, completely misjudged Nolan reboot of the Fantastic Four. And Fantastic Four are basically like you know, the first family of superheroes. They are you know, the Kennedys. So therefore they should be treated as sort of as like an idealised version of... You know, superheroes, but whereas this one was you know, dark and gritty, and it just didn't seem to be to be very well placed at all. I, I think I think it's interesting that both Fantastic Four and Deadpool had their budgets massively slashed partway through production, which is one of the reasons I think why Fantastic Four it doesn't hold together at all. But with Deadpool, the narrative is so fundamentally simple and almost ext- almost like extraneous that you can kind of paper over the cracks by having him make a joke, you know. Let's say that you know you could, you could skip whole reels from the film Deadpool and just have Deadpool pop in and go. Well, those are a couple of reels that were missing. Should we get on with it? And you'd be more, and you're more willing to go along with it than what seems to be a standard superhero film that just doesn't hold together. Yeah, with Fantastic Four, you think you're coming up to the end of the second act, and you suddenly realise you're at the end of the movie, and it's like where was where was half that film? Let's you know. Let's cut the whole sequence where they come to t- where they come to where they get to, where they understand their powers yeah. where they experiment and figure out you know what these abilities mean. Let's just get rid of all that, and we'll just put in well nothing actually. We will just put in eighteen months later as a title card, and then we'll put in this, and then we'll put a bad wig on Kate Mara, and uh, Miles Teller won't look anything like he did 
at the beginning of the film and it's just oh it, it was awful wasn't it yeah. Fantastic Four was awful um, and the whole the whole climax of that film is shot so much around their reaction around the reaction shots of them essentially gurning things that have obviously been added in post and trying desperately to lend it you know you've got four you know five great actors in that film you know admittedly Jamie Bell is literally buried under CGI yeah and Toby Kebbell is wearing like a pie tin and some green LEDs. It's like someone has tried to boldly reinvent Doctor Doom at a Comic Con convention, and no one is buying it. But somehow he got really lucky and is in a Fantastic Four film. It's a weird film that because at the end of Fantastic Four, the climax has lots of references to Akira, and there are these weird references to Akira, which is a film that the director, Josh Trank, is obsessed with that thing. Because if you look at Chronicle, the end of Chronicle is very indebted to the climax of Akira. So he seems to be making Akira as much as Fantastic Four. And while I love Akira, I don't think those two really go together very well. I, I, I think they go... I think that's one of the, I think you can homage and sort of owe as many debts as you want as long as you're fundamentally doing something yourself. Yeah. And when a film falls apart as badly as Fantastic Four does and that all you're left is this vague sense of unease and was he doing Akira? With Deadpool everyone seemed to realise what the character was about from the very beginning so for example Ryan Reynolds told a um, told lots of comic fans at like yeah, one of the panel discussions that Deadpool was going to be a PG-13 and then let them have their meltdown on social media before coming out a bit later and saying, ah, just kidding, of course it's going to be an R. And that seems to be the kind of thing that Deadpool would approve of. He would approve of... Trolling people. Trolling people, yeah. He is basically a troll. In terms of it being meta, so it is very meta, so we get references to, I wonder which which Xavier is going to be... At the X-Men's mansion today, will it be James McAvoy? The very will it be sparsely Patrick populated X-Men mansion because they could only afford two because the studio wouldn't stump up the cash for a third X-Men. Um, there are many references to the fact that you are watching a movie. And there's only... And of course, yeah, Deadpool has been greenlit for a sequel. Obviously it has. It's made over 200 million, well over 200 million in the States. And it, it made, based on its budget, it made more money its opening weekend than Man of Steel. Wow. Because it meant it went immediately into the black. Yes, that's right. They say, what is it that you need to make two and a half times your budget yeah, to turn a profit? And I think around the world it, it pretty much did that. So there will be a sequel um, to to Deadpool. I mean, in this country, it has done just under 14 million. After two weeks on release, that is a bona fide hit. Um, Substantially better than Alvin and the Chipmunks' The Road Chip, which has done just over 4 million, and that's probably a good thing that The Road Chip hasn't done that well. Zoolander has died. Dad's Army, after three weeks, has done... Just under five million. So Deadpool is really outstripping everyone, um, apart from the Revenant. Apart from the Revenant, but the and Revenant, Star Wars. But let's let's not. It know. won't get to Star Wars, but it will do over twenty million, which means it will beat the Revenant. I, I would imagine. We've got. We, we can hope. We can hope. That's right. Yes. But with Deadpool, Deadpool two, is this a joke that can last for another movie? Yes, it's a joke that can last as long as they want it to last. 
you know, they'll they'll they will do they will introduce a slightly bigger baddie and they'll go darker and Deadpool will make a joke about it being darker and everyone will clap. You're right, and they'll do the they won't do it as well, but they will do the twenty two jump street thing of being very aware that they are making a sequel. Um so there will be lots of references to this being the same shit as last time, to this having to be a one up, they will have yeah, you're right, they will have two villains um, there will be an obligatory love rival, etc. Maybe there... a good villain this um, yes. Well again it was like this is the because you know, for me Deadpool was Ant Man. It's like this is this is just another origin story and it's um in Ant Man, yeah, the main character Darren something or other <laughs> who's played by Darren Cross. Sorry, I think we're talking Strain. slightly cross purposes here. I was trying to think of Scott Lang. <laughs> I, I, was try, I was trying to think of Corey Stoll as the actor Darren, as the character Darren Cross, the villain. You do know your comic books, yeah. For me, this was like Ant Man. It's so yeah, Scott Lang in Ant Man. He's a he's a safe cracker. So yeah, Wade Wilson. He's a, a merc. A merc, like yeah, he's, he's like a low rent with enforcer. a mouth. I do like the fact though that. The special forces nowadays means that you can have superpowers almost, and because you're special forces, people think that you can just do these things like yeah, run up walls and yeah, snatch guns out of people's hands and special take on forces. Rob, special forces. You are you literally become a superhero if you are special forces. You can withstand where, a huge where, amount of pain. Where else are you going to stick the superheroes, Rob? <laughs> yes, it's, uh... it's called, they're called special forces. What <laughs> what about it? Don't you get? <laughs> I think that someone is applied to join special forces here. So, and who, and why not? Because apparently, you can be a superhero. You're almost a superhero before you get hit with a toxic whatever. But yeah, so for Deadpool, it's it's another origin story. Um, it's so therefore the fact that the that the villain was one note and a bit throwaway didn't really surprise me because I think that Marvel now actually that's one thing that it didn't really comment on the fact that all Marvel villains are ultimately not very good and that's maybe a joke that it missed or or did it miss Which, it no I, I, th- I think I think it got a slight lick in well, again I said with generic British villain but is that the one indisputable advantage given I mean obviously Spider-Man has some great villains but is that the one indisputable advantage that DC has over Marvel that the fact that it has villains that don't require I mean the Daredevil series gave us Kingpin, Jessica Jones gave us Purple Man, but they had to create them almost from whole cloth because, you know, Michael Clark Duncan was Kingpin in the Daredevil film, but there wasn't that recognition. There wasn't the... People yeah. weren't excited. Yeah, because I don't think anyone really... I think that most people knew that Daredevil was the blind superhero. What they didn't know was that you know, Daredevil lived in a universe where everyone had superpowers by... I mean, yeah, do you remember Daredevil? There was so much wire work in that film that literally everyone was flying around. It was so misjudged, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, Michael Clark Duncan seemed to be great casting as Kingpin, but ultimately an underwritten thug role. Whereas Vincent D'Onofrio in Daredevil, the Netflix series, is much more layered. He's given much more to do, and actually, when you see his backstory and his origin story of how he became a supervillain, it's 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 a moving story. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, because uh, DC has Lex, Lex Luthor, and it has the Joker. And that has the Suicide Squad, you know, who, you know, who are a lot of sort of, you know, B-list, C-list, you know, it's got Captain Boomerang, for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, Captain Boomerang, played by perennial favourite... Jay Courtney. Jay Courtney. <laughs> um, 
And we, for those who don't know, we love Jay or Jai Courtney. We love him so much that we don't care how you say his name because, let's face it, he is a blank cipher in every single film he's turned in so far. So therefore, the fact that you don't know how his name is said almost ties into all of that. He is... He is perennial charisma vacuum Jay Courtney. He's, he's, he's Sam Worthington without Avatar. He is Sam Worthington without Avatar or a cheeky grin. But you know what? And we'll get onto it in just a bit. I think the Suicide Squad could be Jay Courtney's emergence into a personality-driven acting performance. Oh, we need to stop agreeing on things. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yes, where is the conflict here? Well, actually, I think that's a, it's a good point about what you said about DC. DC has good villains. Um, and I think that we've seen from yeah, the Dark Knight films, yeah, there were some great villains there. I would say that General Zod in Man of Steel was, he was a good villain. Yeah, Michael Shannon does not give bad performances. And so even though, how much of that is Michael Shannon? But that's the thing, is that, isn't that enough though, that if you do good casting, then you can carry a weak script? Yeah, well, uh, okay, yeah, admittedly you can make the same case. I would argue for Tom Hardy in The Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I, th- I think Bane is a better character and has more interesting character beats. But yeah, ultimately, it's one of those things where the villain is very much subsidiary. And of course, actually, we we won't spoil it here, but um, but there is another interesting villain within The Dark Knight Rises um, that, yes, we won't spoil it here for those who haven't seen it. So when we were talking about yeah, doing this podcast, you you came up with a really, really interesting point that... So right now, Marvel owns the superhero industry on the big screen. Um, there's no doubt about that. So they are, yeah, Avengers, the Age of Ultron, was it generally deemed to be a bit of a disappointment, still cleared a billion at the box office. Ant-Man was seen as like kind of, you know, not... A modest. A modest hit, which means that you are still doing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars around the world. Um, of course, they have... Guardians of the Galaxy 2 coming up they have Captain America Civil War which is which is busting all sorts of um, yeah, testing records isn't it it's kind of like yeah, testing through the roof right now as they like to say for anything they think is going to be a massive hit so they own the superhero industry for the big screen but it's not uncharitable to say the Marvel right now are turning out kind of production line movies they're all very good but they are very good in a production line. I mean, even Guardians of the Galaxy, which I love, is looking back, it follows a certain formula. Oh, absolutely. It's I felt really bad after seeing Guardians of the Galaxy because everyone walked out saying, what a great time they've had with this movie. And it was like, it seems churlish to criticise, but have we just not watched a poor man's serenity? Was that not just a serenity that we were watching? And wouldn't it have been much better to have had another serenity movie? I don't know, it just seemed that and for me, I think the Guardians of the Galaxy really cemented the formula. It was um, so a misfit band, um, a charismatic yeah, male lead, a yeah, sassy sidekick, high in the sky peril at the end. Everything, even Deadpool ends with a climax that puts them in peril because they're high up. Um, it just seemed like this Marvel, you have to you have to ground some of this at some point it's um age of ultron is set on the ground but the ground is a, is about a mile up in the sky it's like wouldn't, it, wouldn't it just be refreshing <laughs> if one of these films ended with a conversation and just then talking to the villain the villain going you know what i've totally overreacted i've 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 had a moment to think about this and 
you know what? We just need an intervention. Just sit down and we'll talk about it. See, I would say, wow, it would be great to see that. But we've seen it already and it was cack because that's called Kill Bill Volume 2. That ends with a conversation at a kitchen table and it's rubbish. It is how do you end these films because you have to give it a big climax. But how do you end? Well, I think if, if you put heart into your characters, so that's the thing is that yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy was a heartless movie in the end. There was not really anyone in there that you cared about it's like don't care about any of this i cared about prison knife guy Uh, i cared yeah i I cared about the guy you know drax took his knife and he went that was my favorite knife i cared about him yeah where's his movie because that was a man that i understood he wanted a very simple thing and that was his knife yes he he is the one person now that i can root for in the entire marvel universe because because he isn't he's got something he immediately wants i can't relate to saving the universe I can't relate to all these grand intergalactic... I can relate to wanting something. <laughs> I can relate to wanting something that, you know, is immediately, you know, I have things I like, and if somebody took them from me, I would be upset. With the zeal that you have in your face right now, I think that you can relate to wanting a knife. <laughs> so I'm going to put away all the sharp objects, and then we'll quickly move on to... Um... It's too late. It's too late. I have the knife in my hand. Yeah, so I think with Marvel, it's like, okay, right, so you you have your movies, and your movies are doing very well. Ant-Man was a remake of Iron Man, Deadpool, another origin story. You're doing this. I have nothing but high hopes for Captain America Civil War, because I think that, that The Winter Soldier joins X-Men First Class as my favourite Marvel movie. Is X-Men First Class Marvel? Well, it's, it's Fox, Fox, isn't it? Technically yeah, Fox, yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's indeed, such a right. degree of crossover on those ones, Bill. That's right. And this is the other thing that you pointed out as well, was that there are actually three players here. We don't have... It's not just DC and Marvel. It's DC, Marvel and Fox. Fox, of course, are actually Fantastic Four aside, um, having quite a bit of success with their X-Men films and with their Deadpool film. Which is the highest grossing X-Men film. Yes, which is the weirdest thing in the world. But uh, So we'll see how X-Men Apocalypse does when it comes out a bit later this year to see if, if it beats it. But... I know Deadpool just seems to have caught a mood right now. So Marvel are making these very, very efficient films. They seem to have hit a formula that you know the people aren't beginning to tire of in terms of not paying to go and see it. But I don't feel there's any real love for these films anymore. I think that people have have lost a bit of that magic and that spark. Question there is: Has that heart and that magic moved to the but small screen? What, I, I'd say it has, but I think the uh, part of the argument is there's nothing moving to replace them. So last year, what were the big films that weren't comic book movies? Well, Star Wars. Star Wars, Mad which was a sequel. Max. Mad Max, which was a reboot. Again, Jurassic World. World sequel. Nothing um, Under the Sun. So Furious 7 was... A sequel. A sequel. And you're thinking, what is, what's going to be that blockbuster that's going to be like The Matrix that comes out of nowhere and, just, and, does, and does what Iron Man did when Iron Man came out? Because there was no guarantee that Iron Man was going to work, and, but it was... It, it suddenly seems to do something new and fresh with comic book movies. What is going to be the thing that replaces comic book movies? Oddly, it just seems to me like this is what was this was the case with musicals during the sixties when you would do a musical and you were guaranteed a return because it was a musical and you know the sound of music was the biggest film of all time and you know, Mary Poppins was well yeah it's one of the greatest films of all time but that you know just done amazing numbers and you mm-hmm. and Fox so Fox again poured a ton of money like you know literally bet the farm on Doctor Doolittle and ultimately took a bit of a bath on it because it was a musical 
that wasn't a very good musical, but that wouldn't have mattered if it had been like yeah, three years earlier. But it was just at that time that, that the musical wave broke. Bonnie and Clyde. The Bonnie and Clyde came. The out. Graduate. I mean, I think it's interesting. Have you heard the rumours surrounding Mary Poppins too? Yes, indeed. And Emily um, Blunt is yes, going to play the her poppening or whatever it is. The poppening. That's right. It's like, oh, don't, don't do it because there's no need to do a sequel to Mary Poppins. Just do, just do something like Nanny McPhee, where it's kind of Mary Poppins, but it doesn't have to be called Mary Poppins because you know, she should just leave Mary, Mary Poppins alone. But is this, is this what's going to happen then? Is it that in the 60s we had all these massive inflated star vehicles or you know, special effects showcases, all this you know, spectacle, and eventually it was superseded by you know, Bonnie and Clyde, The Wild Bunch, The French Connection, films that were much more adult, you know, much more down-to-earth. I would argue in the 60s, though, there were still taboos to bust. Yeah. There was still, you know, it was possible got to, pulled to go dark and gritty. And, you know, back in the 60s, you had, you know, the, the angry young men in Britain. And you had lots of things that had never really been explored in film before. What's our equivalent of that? You know, what do we have that now that, you know, that now that we've gone from the bloated spectacle to, you know, the new age of Hollywood and through that and through the indies. And now we're back in bloated spectacle. You know, we've we've returned essentially to the status quo after years you know everything getting away from the studios for you know for quite a few years we're back we're back in studio filmmaking we, you know we're back where an age where just about everything is owned by disney yeah you have to tip your hat to disney i mean you know not only do they have a history of making let's face it amazing movies mary poppins they now own lucasfilm and pixar and marvel and they have the Disney brand, which, and they also own ABC Studios as well. So they have a really, really successful, popular small screen brand. So they are just a juggernaut right now. But is it? I mean, I kind of think now: are we looking at a, at a time when you know, political filmmaking is going to come back, or that social realism filmmaking that really took hold during the sixties and early seventies in this country um, with you know, Ken Loach and, and those sort of people? Is that going to come back, or is it? Is that just for the small screen now? Because you can do so much more on TV than you could back in the sixties and seventies. That all those social issue films, all the kind of um, all the social issues and all the important stuff is actually going to be on the small screen, and the big screen will be where you get intelligent films, but they will be genre films. And even if they're intelligent, they'll still be of a genre. Yeah, I, th- I think since TV has become that much more credible as a source of serious drama and yeah the film there's almost a perception that film can provide scale and spectacle and that's that's all we should really ask of it and you know looking at the looking at the oscar nominees this year the best picture noms you know the revenant which you know i'd argue is you know definitely plays into that element of spectacle mm-hmm. and uh, and as as we talked about on the last podcast, it is basically a very traditional Western in terms of its stories, so it's breaking new, no new ground there. And, you know, there, there's there's an extent to which I always prefer to see films on the big screen because it is that much more of an immersive experience than, you know, sat at home on your couch with your tap dripping and your phone beeping and all that, you know, all those sort of annoyances, all those distractions. But, yeah, there there is, there is, there is a view to which, you know, the, film, the year is now broken up by tentpole movies. 
it's just a succession of big releases and everything else kind of gets swallowed up by it you know you don't want to be you don't want to be within a month of Star well certainly a month after Star Wars six weeks after Star Wars there's no point in releasing your film because nobody's going to go and see it we are now in an age where we have year-round blockbusters. I mean, the fact that Batman versus Superman... Now, there was a time when Batman versus Superman would be the film of the year. It would be the one film that you had to see that year. This is a film that's getting released in March to avoid the blockbuster season. And it's like, wow, you... So Warner Brothers are clearly thinking, okay, we want to start blockbuster season rather than have to compete with what comes after it. And what a way, you know, what a great way to start... Batman versus Superman, something that's um, yeah, been teased for years and years and years, and I Am Legend has that you know, nice little throwaway visual gag to it. But you're kind of starting with that. These, yeah, you're not well, holding out for the summer season for that. Uh, you could argue, no, they needed to get ahead of Civil War. Oh yeah, yeah, and because, because is- Civil War, you know, essentially has to an extent the same premise. You know, iconic characters taking chunks out of each other. And because Batman and B Superman, you know, Batman's Batman and Superman aren't established in the same way as the Marvel characters, they've arguably still got more recognition than you know, maybe not the Iron Man or Captain America, but you know, they're definitely up there as icons. But we don't know them. That's the thing is, I think that so we had the Batman trilogy, which I think is one of you know, the great movie trilogies. But that seemed to to do for Batman for that certain time because you know, before then, yeah, Batman had yeah, started off with. Tim Burton ended up with Joel Schumacher who turned out to be the most lethal of all the Bat villains mm-hmm. and so 1997 I think was Batman for a, oh no Batman Batman and Robin Batman and Robin and it was almost a decade before you got another Batman so I think that these things just maybe need to be rested a bit I mean, you know, that's a character that people now have had their fill of and yeah, Man of Steel means that ironically yeah, Warner just can't seem to get Superman right right now The yeah, there still isn't anything to compare to the original Superman film and that was made in 1978 oh, I think that's the part of the, of the character because you know, he's, he's the big blue boy scout he is a character who does have a certain naivety about, about, about the conception you know, in the new trailer Lex Luthor has a line you know, the, the, the America is founded on the lie that power can be innocent. Yeah. And Superman is the embodiment of power. And back when, you know, he was punching out Hitler, he was innocent. He was the good guy. You know, in Batman, in, in, in Superman Returns, you know, Perry White, as played by Lawrence Fishburne, says, you know, true, uh, no, sorry, as played by somebody who's not Frank Langella, Frank Langella says, truth, justice, and all that stuff. You know, he won't even say the American way because it doesn't, it's not as, there's a lot more ambivalence surrounding it. There is, and I think you're right, but I think it's also one of these things where, again, it's um, talking about Deadpool and someone does something good and then everyone tries to, or something, you know, something that resonates and everyone tries to jump on that bandwagon. I think, so they just, you know, Nolanized Superman, and it's like, well, Superman is about optimism and he's about yeah there'll always be a way to not hurt someone with superman and but in in man of steel he kills someone with his bare hands <laughs> and it's like your first villain and you kill them with your bare hands when they are because they're going to shoot their you know their energy beam uh, laser sight at a family can't you just put your hand in front of his eyes because you're because it'll bounce off your hand won't it and it'll go behind you and why have you broke why have you broken this man's neck <laughs> That's a fundamental misunderstanding of the character. It's, um... I think that's yeah. It's an understanding of the character that I think that's so deeply rooted in Superman would never kill that they think having him kill is the ultimate step 
for the character, but they're failing to realise that it's so antithetical to you know if you have the if you have Superman killed someone in the comics, then you've had you know a hundred issues leading up to that. You've had you know pages and pages and pages and stories and stories and stories, and such an established you know. If you know, there are there are a million different versions of Superman. Then there are a million different versions of Batman. They are you know they're all essentially the same character, variations on the same character. But we don't really know the Henry Cavill Superman. We don't know the Ben Affleck Batman. So here with Superman, it seems to be that you know, Batman is taking him to task on what he did in Man of Steel. Hopefully that will also include killing someone with his bare hands, saying you can't do that. I, I don't. I think. I think it's probably going to be the least of their problems. I think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be. You killed the alien marauder and you, you murdered the alien marauder. I think it's going to be more. More focusing on the collateral damage. I think it might be focusing on the, yeah, the collateral damage to the people rather than to the alien. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. So, and this is the thing, and I think this is the point to bring it back again what you were saying about DC versus Marvel at least on the big screen is that with Marvel you kind of know what you're going to get you're going to get something very slick you're going to get something that you enjoy watching it will have a certain amount of spectacle there will be some witty banter in there there will be some good acting in there from an unusual character actor cast but you kind of know what you're going to get before the Marvel logo comes up whereas right now with DC Ooh, there is just that frisson of excitement that you might be seeing just a train wreck or you might be seeing the best thing ever and it's like wow what what are we going to get with these films what are we going to get with Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice and again is Dawn another character that's going to be in this film because there are a million characters in this film and today it's been confirmed that the film's going to be two and a half hours long but but we never found out who Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was so (laughs) who is this Dawn and why does she not appear in her films that's what I want to know that's the big question but anyway yeah so for for Batman versus Superman I'm hopeful because I want it to be good I want I want to have a good time with it I think the thing about the DC films is Marvel always prevents always presents a very tight package no. if you think if you'll, if you'll excuse my phrase <laughs> about Deadpool suit uh, yes it's <laughs> what's it you know uh, badass great ass yeah badass great ass tight package uh, um, but, and the fact that they're, they're, they're finely tuned they are and Man of Steel to an extent and, and, and Batman Bat, they're too big they're, you know, they're, uh, Dark Knight Rises. They're, you know, too grand, too operatic, too, you know, too broad in terms of dealing with ideas of power, and and they kind of get caught up with their own importance a bit, and which most, which means they might not be, you know, have the same sort of drive behind them, but there will be components in it you might really like. You know, everybody likes, you know, I'm sorry, I, I really like Tom Hardy's Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to seeing Ben Affleck's take on Batman. I'm interested to see, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I'm, I'm the, the, the appearance of various characters from the Justice League popping in to sort of, hi. Yeah. Um, yeah it's me. I'm... Lay, laying the groundwork here. <laughs> there's, there's some serious groundwork being laid here. I'm looking forward to Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, which I thought originally was not very interesting Inspired, casting, yeah. but actually having seen bits of her in the film, it's like, or in, in the trailer, it's like, oh, is this, am I just doing what everyone said when they said it was going to be Ben Affleck, which is what everyone said when they said it was going to be Heath, Le- Heath Ledger as the Joker. Everyone just thinks that because they've not seen them do a 
a film like that before that they can't do it kind of forgetting that they're professional actors and that they yeah, should be able to have a certain amount of range Ben Affleck doing Broody I can't I can't imagine yeah. well that's the thing I know you're not a huge fan of the film but that moment in Argo when he says someone has to, to do something right here someone has to take a stand it was like I thought oh that I think that might be the moment that you became Batman or that they were convinced that you could be Batman and you're absolutely right about the the grandiose nature of it because I mean let's face it the the buildings coming down in Man of Steel and in the Batman vs Superman trailer are very 9-11 imagery. But there's that wonderful moment that really captures the Batman character and he's not even dressed up as Batman, he's, he's Bruce Wayne. When everyone's running away from the falling building and he's running towards it to save people and it's like, wow, you have nailed the character there as much as you ultimately misunderstood Superman. That's such an amazing moment and it's a trailer moment and I have to go and just watch that over and over again because it's such a great Batman moment please can you make that film like that <laughs> but then I think well it's Batman versus Superman for 28 minutes yeah, they're going, they're to, going <laughs> to have to hit the Batman and Superman hitting each other is going to be very fun to watch I'm sure or, or who knows maybe not maybe it could be it could be really dull but you know that it's going to end 40 minutes into that film they are going to be well established as uh, yeah, partners it's... oh who knows maybe Superman's going to straight up murder Batman maybe <laughs> maybe that we're just not expecting that he's going to snap Batman's neck and we're, gonna, we're all going to go oh, oh right. <laughs> this is oh. the subversive one this is what Deadpool <laughs> tried to do but actually this one's doing it wow that's amazing actually having said it so nails the character of Bruce Wayne by running towards the building of course he is he is holding that gun a lot as Batman and, and you know it's like a I don't know a pulse energy rifle or something like that like yeah an electromagnetic gun thing not a real gun not a real gun but it's like he does hold it like he's holding a gun and can we just not have Batman holding guns because you already got this amazing moment in the Dark Knight when he grabs that shotgun from one of the um, from one of the Joker's henchmen and without even looking at it just strips it down to its basic components and completely disarms it and you're thinking yeah because that's what Batman is he won't walk around with a gun so I don't know might be interesting though the idea that you know Batman getting to call Superman up on murder it's like I, I don't kill have you oh yeah you did didn't yeah. you your first enemy you killed him with your bare hands after indirectly causing the death of thousands of people so um, you need to go away and think about this which is it's weird in a way it kind of ties into the Frank Miller The Dark Knight Strikes Back um, which goes into that whole thing about Superman and Wonder Woman saying Hannah said we are gods we are basically like you know perfect beings why are we not just ruling this planet and you think yeah that's is would be a temptation if I was a superhero. I'd be like, I'd be like the rubbish superhero from Megamind, who yeah. kind of uh, who's too unimaginative to do anything good with it, and just you know flies around, yeah, nicking stuff and eating lots of pizza. Um, <laughs> then there's Wonder Woman, and but there's there's um, Aquaman and, and uh, the Flash, Cyborg as well. Cyborg, okay, kind of. Uh, so as someone who has an interest in in all these comic book films but also thinks of the and also yeah, comic books and comic book series but also remembers the words of the great film writer Anne Bilson who wrote a really good book about the thing many years ago who said what thing? <laughs> very good Anne Bilson said 
if you it seems if you haven't read every single issue of every single comic ever then you can have no opinion about this because the internet will say have you not read this issue here and you can't um, if you criticise a film it's it's not because that film it's has flawed, that weakness yeah. or is flawed it's because you just haven't read yeah, the correct issue of, of a comic So, um, and I sometimes find myself in that camp thinking I have more than a passing interest in this but Cyborg who is Cyborg? It pretty much what it says on the tin right so it's he's, just he's a cyborg is he and I'm thinking with that name that he might be a baddie no he's a good guy oh, okay fair enough he's a founding member of the Justice League hmm uh, as of course is um, well, if, depending on what universe you're going with uh, Green Lantern uh, The Flash and whether or not we get him they've just they've uh, they've introduced him in other media The Martian Manhunter John Johns right okay so is that getting a bit John Carter of Mars because when I heard about The Martian Manhunter it's like really we're going to try and get this guy in because you're just imagining him as Nimrod from you know the uh, I am imagining him as Nimrod as Marvin the Martian I, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> so sorry are all these characters going to be in this film I don't know there are many reasons why they shouldn't be and there are less compelling reasons why it could be quite entertaining to see it's like how many subsidiary characters can you fit in a film well it, it does become a bit like a um Again, we're just going back to the cinema of spectacle, and um, it just reminds me in a really perverse way of the David Niven film Around the World in 80 Days. And this is the only podcast about superhero films you're going to uh, listen to where you hear a comparison to the best picture Oscar winning, but ultimately not very good, Around the World in 80 Days starring David Niven, which was made in a time when... Most people didn't travel abroad because it was prohibitively expensive, and it's just a variety show of like you know, different travel log locations with really famous people in it. And there's a tiny part of me that thinks that Batman versus Superman might be the superhero equivalent <laughs> to that in terms of. So we're going to have you know, Barbara Gordon. So Barbara Gordon doesn't she become Batgirl at some point uh, well yeah and then becomes Oracle yes uh, I, I'd, I'd be given that um, Jim Gordon's dead by the time of this film I'd be tempted to think that she's already Oracle so she's going to be Oracle yeah so she is uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter um, left paraplegic wonder if they go down this in the um, so she was shot by the Joker um, in The Killing Joke the Alan Moore story um, I'm not sure if she's been it, I'd imagine that she was in other other comics as well. They kind of like carried that through that she was paraplegic, and it will be interesting to see what they do with her. But she's a character that she's like a major character that needs to be introduced. There's Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. There's um, she probably won't spoil it because because the trailer spoils it enough. But there's another villain as well. There's Aquaman, Forever Entourage's Aquaman. Um, there's the Flash played by Ezra Miller. There just seems to be so many people in this film, and it's, and it's only two and a half hours. And I thought this was going to come in at maybe about three hours because it seems to have a lot well, of plot to it, get through. It has to do, yeah, it has to set up roughly the same number of characters in that t- space of time that Marvel gave themselves half a dozen, well, more than half a dozen films, gave themselves about a decade worth of films, you know, a decade worth. To get to the Avengers, to get to the Avengers, and this film kind of has to say, okay, it's this guy, this guy, this person, this person. You know, you, you recognise this bunch of people. Here are the actors playing them. Just go out there, you crazy kids, and have fun with the jokes. 
or had fun with the Nolan-esque grittiness. We're going to have a new Alfred as well, so Jeremy Irons will be Alfred, and uh, and as you were saying earlier, slightly different Alfred from the one that we've seen before, maybe. Yes, um, head of security Alfred as opposed to butler Alfred, and you've got to wonder what he was doing on that fateful night years ago. Yes, when when a Thompson gun was Martha Wayne were coming out of the showing of Zorro or the opera, depending on which version of Batman you're watching slash reading. I'm a brutally gunned down. I'm a brutally gunned down. Yeah. Um, so, but he does seem as if Jeremy Irons is doing the the Alfred from the animated series, where he's always calling up. Bruce Wayne on the fact that this is ultimately a little bit mentally unhinged to be uh, dressing up as a man as a as a bat and running around and beating people up so it will be interesting to see what happens with him and if but crucially if there's any humor there because from the trailers it all looks a bit a bit grim and a bit yeah gritty um other than Jesse Eisenberg who could be the joker of this one um yeah who has to bring that sort of sense of unpredictability and being on a level slightly above everyone else but again in terms of yeah, Deadpool being so meta from what we've seen from the trailer for Batman vs Superman it's incredibly meta when it's like Clark Kent meet Bruce Wayne and then he slaps Superman's um, yeah, shoulder and says oh you do not want to pick a fight with this guy haha and it's like okay right this is good fun I, I guess it's in universe meta as opposed to Two. fourth wall yeah it's Smashing kind of meta. it's kind of like we've got this character this character introducing these two characters and they're all three very famous and they've got this relationship that we're going to have to comment on in some way at this point because otherwise it just seems like a plot device yeah indeed and it's uh, and you are I suppose like you're missing certain opportunities if you don't call attention to it but um I don't know, but we'll see in like a month's time. We will know if Batman versus Superman was um, was a magnificent ode to the golden age of DC superheroes, or a flaming trash fire, <laughs> or flaming trash. Yes, yeah, so is it going to be? Is it going to have that same sense of wow and wonder that we got with Tim Burton's Batman and The Dark Knight? Or will it be the same as Batman Forever and Batman and Robin? Time literally is going to tell on that. But one thing that really can't be denied is that DC is having, to date, quite a lot of success on the small screen um, with Arrow and Flash and Supergirl. And, to a lesser extent, Gotham. Oh, yeah, they did do Gotham, didn't they? They yeah. did. <laughs> yes. Which is just, you know, to coin a phrase... I've had I've had complaints about putting it like this before. It's, it's essentially just Batman cocktees. Batman cocktees, yeah. So that means I now have to tick the not suitable for work on the iTunes um, submission for this. But you're right, it is Batman cocktees. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, isn't it weird that at the same time all these different things were happening and it's like, oh, this doesn't really work it's as just a, like, as oh, idea. The, here's the villain, here's a villain, he's not quite, they're not quite the villain that you know yet, but they're getting that way, you can see, <laughs> we're laying the seeds, we're laying, you see, we're, yeah, and it's like, oh, come on. This is it, Muppet Babies for This Batman is villains. Muppet <laughs> Babies for Batman villains. <laughs> um, yeah, I have stories that nobody wanted to, like, who, nobody was asking Hey, I wonder what the Penguin was doing 20 years ago. That's right. And if you wanted to know that, then you'd just sort of like watch the beginning of Batman Returns and say, okay, right, I can fill in the blanks between him in that 
you know, Cradle Moses-like going down into the sewers and then him with Danny DeVito. The definitive reading of the Penguin, in my humble opinion, even though I did wow. like Burgess, Mer- Burgess Meredith within the Batman series. But The Flash yeah, is that, uh, pretty good. Arrow is good. As good as apparently is, to a lesser extent, DC... Oh, something of tomorrow. Legends of tomorrow. Legends of tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow, which is uh, coming along soon, and I have to admit, I am quite excited by it. It's got uh, time travel in it, so time travel, never a bad thing. Indicators that it could be a good thing. It's got Arthur Darvill in it. Yeah, playing the Doctor. Playing the Doctor, he's playing David Tennant's Doctor. (laughs) Uh, You know, it feels like Arrow's the dark one, Flash is the light one, and Legend of Tomorrow will be somewhere in the middle. I want my superhero narratives, at least on the small screen, to be standalone. I want my, I want my, you know, ten to thirteen episode series. I want it to be a quote unquote serious drama. I want my Daredevil. I want my Jessica Jones. I want it to function as a discrete story, as something you could just drop in and watch Jessica Jones without having seen anything else Marvel. And as long as you had a basic understanding or acceptance of superheroes, you'd be fine with the whole story. All oh, right. So when you say standalone, you don't mean that every episode is like a. Like the Incredible oh, Hulk. Oh no, not not episodic. But um, just you don't need to have understood any, or have read anything about Daredevil before you watch the first episode of Daredevil. You have just got it in that in that series. I see what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. Perversely, you know, with, with my films, I want to, you know, it's been very fun for it to all to hook up. And oh, there's Batman, and there's Superman. And there's a reference to that, and there's a reference to that. With TV, if I'm going to be devoting 13 hours of my life, I want it to work. And do you think? So what's the what's the Danger that you think is going to be there with um, that you with legends. Well, with legends, the same with Arrow and Flash. Every episode is a bloody crossover, mm. and there is so. And you kind of it's kind of obliging you to watch everything, and that's a lot of time invested. And, and again, I'm sure there's a core level of competency involved. I've watched a bit of Arrow. I've watched a bit of the Flash, but it's such a massive commitment. That's that's it. It's, it's, it's that three is hours a issue. week. That, yeah. That's right, and it's like. It's, it's three hours a week when you have things like the X Files to watch, or you actually, you know, you have things like Agent Carter to watch. And Agent Carter, unfortunately, looks like his days are numbered. Um, it's not going to survive now that there's a new person joined ABC, and Agent Carter has always you know, struggled to find an audience, which is a real shame because, well, maybe because it's just yeah, I love things that are set in 1940. I love the, I love noir superheroes, so to have that. You know, noirish tone within a superhero universe I just think works really well um, I think there's a real kind of again like a real heart to that show and there's a real heart to Daredevil as well I think I mean you know the characters in Daredevil are living breathing characters it's weird when you and there's and you actually care about it when they either come to blows or when they you know are threatened and there's there's just something about you know, Marvel on the small screen that seems to be doing it a lot better than Marvel on the big screen in terms of having some emotional connection with the audience. Fewer moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. It could be that they're not having to set up the civil war into infinity wars, or you know, they, that they can just tell the story there and they, then. They get to but... go. Here is you know an episode entirely on the backstory of the Kingpin. Well, not entirely. Largely, that's got that'll have, that'll have you know substantial flashbacks to the to the origins of this character. Yeah, and it'll have you know some thematic resonance, and it will work entirely on its own terms, and it's not there to service anything else. That said, though, I do also think that Agents of Shield has a real you know sense of heart and fun to it. I think that yeah could largely come from 
from the from the very good cast, but that worked really well as well. I thought, um, yeah, particularly when it had to, yeah, then come in with Winter Soldier, and it became a much more different show, but like a much more interesting show. Um, yes, so I, I don't know. It's Batman versus Superman. It literally is Schrodinger's cat right now. <laughs> it's uh, it could be one of the great superhero films. Could be a dead cat. One of the superhero films that I hope is as good as I hope it's going to be is Suicide Squad, which is out in August, uh, so towards the tail end. So they're kind of, I suppose at DC are looking at this as you know, bracketing the blockbuster season. Um, there's a Bourne film out this year as well. There's if Jason Bourne is out this year. That seems a bit... Bourne again. Bourne again. Kind of, uh, I'm born of this now. Um, but that's it, weird that it's like you know well there's no trailer for that yet there's no real sense that there's going to be a Bourne well, film well there is a, there's a teaser I think I think there's a teaser but um yeah and it's interesting that Jeremy Renner who would otherwise be you know who was supposed to be taking over that franchise is instead uh, will presumably be in Civil War yes indeed that's right so he has his own um his own franchise that he can fall back on because let's face it, I mean, yeah, he was good enough. Well, he was okay in the Bourne legacy, but the Bourne legacy was a big steaming pile of disappointment. And, uh, we'll see what Jason Bourne is like. I mean, the quantum of solace of Bourne films. It it could be the specter of Bourne Bourne films, films. which is even worse. Hopefully that won't matter because we'll all be buzzing from Suicide Squad, which looks like the Dirty Dozen on hallucinogenic smart drugs or something like one, that. One thing I'm looking forward to about uh, Suicide Squad is it has disposable characters. Yes. It has, you know, there are characters, you know, who in the sort of, you know, if not the primary, then secondary protagonists, who they can bump off, who they can kill. Yes, they don't need these these characters for, um, yeah, for Justice League. Okay, so if you're a betting man, who would be one of those... Um, one of those characters. Well, uh, I'm guessing uh, Rick Flagg, is played by Joel Kinnaman, will turn out to be in some sort of antagonistic role. Jay Hernandez as El Diablo seems a likely pick. Essentially, it's any character that doesn't immediately lend themselves to a much deeper back... to, to some sort of revelation. Well, that's interesting, because I look at this and I kind of knew the Suicide Squad before the film was announced and kind of knew what they were but not particularly that well and I look at this um, at these characters and I've heard of Deadshot I've heard of Harley Quinn I've heard of Killer Croc but I don't think I'd heard of Captain Boomerang and I haven't heard of hardly any of these but I'm really excited for this because I think it's one of those things where it's like well these are fresh characters that I don't know who they are and to your point, I don't know who's going to live, who's going to die. And this just seems like something a bit new and a, a bit different. And yes, it's the Dirty Dozen. But the Dirty Dozen in a comic book universe, looking how it does from the trailers, it's, that, it's DC's long shot. It's their Guardians. It is, yes, They're getting right. to very early. They can afford to take some risks. Well, you know, it's their Guardians to the extent that they had a you know, beloved pop song in the trailer, pop rock song in the, you know, they... Well, both of them, because they had the Bee Gees song, didn't they, in in the first one, which was great and really really fit the tone well. And then you had Bohemian Rhapsody that's cut to the sound of guns being locked and loaded, and it's like, okay, right, so there's a certain element of this that is just 
really, really fun and really exciting that you are going to do something that this could be the film that ultimately I wanted Deadpool to be. I don't know, I could be setting myself up for a major fall. I mean, it has the Joker in it, and Jared Leto looks pretty good as the Joker. Um, Apparently been harassing people. Yes, indeed. Like, I did, like sending a pig or something to the cast or something yeah, like that. Viola Davis, yeah, being in <laughs> being in a rehearsal apparently where he, uh, Jared Leto's henchman turned up with a pig carcass and just went, but there you go. <laughs> it's like, can we have somebody who plays the Joker who's not, who doesn't either go, n- oh, sorry, that's, 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 that's alluding to a story with, with Heath Ledger where Heath Ledger became slightly... Over too invested in the character, oh, where right. where somebody doesn't either bury themselves so deeply in the character that they cause damage to themselves, or where they're not just Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of well, Caesar Romero, he was good, and Mark Mark Hamill hasn't hasn't caused damage to himself, and he yeah, was, but he, but he, pr- he never needed to put on the grease paint. He never he just <laughs> sort of. But it, but what a great joker he was though, just just through his voice. But um, but Caesar Romero, I mean, yeah, Caesar Romero. He put on the grease paint, but he put it straight over his mustache. Yeah, that's the thing is that he was so uninvested in the character in terms of you know going method that he wouldn't even shave off his mustache. He just put the white grease paint over his mustache and said, like, "Oh yeah, look at that! You can see he's got a mustache." Um, oh, I, oh, I, are you a, are you a fan of the of the Adam West but Batman? The, yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. I, I used to have to do a pretty good Frank Gorshin Riddler. Go on. There's actually, I'm, I am surprised, this, for a podcast about superhero films, we have talked a lot about social realism movies from the 1960s and 70s, <laughs> and around the world in 80 days at one point, which was the David Niven film, that was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we talked about Doc, Dr. Doolittle and musicals, Mary Poppins was mentioned more than once, um, yeah, so this is this is how we talk about superhero films. It's just one big smorgasbord, really. really. Anyway, so um, without further ado, the reason I said that was because... Sorry, without further ado, I'm going to talk, talk a bit more. The reason I said that was because we all... Well, Rob and I have tons and tons of comic book voices we could have inflicted on you. And I think we've been amazingly we, we, restrained. Uh, yeah, I, I've sort of decided to sort of go with this now because I've been holding back for the... We have, there's um, been no bane... There has we've been no resisted Bane. Bane. When we did a test to see that this was recording okay, we, well, Rob cracked out his Bane. You should have at least one opportunity to do your Bane before we wrap this up, because it is... I'll, I'll work it, it is, goodbye. It's a good Bane. Um, anyway, go on. Without further ado, drum roll. Okay, this Frank is Frank Gorshin, The Riddler. That's not bad, actually. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit maniacal at the end there, but... It's I. It's going to be my ringtone. Um, <laughs> so uh, every time that I get a call from my boss, it's going to be that, so that the chill goes down, <laughs> my, goes down my spine before I have to talk to them. So that'll be good. Um, yeah, well, that was... I'm trying to think if I, if I should, if I should uh, yeah, break out my Batman. I won't, I won't. It's like, yeah, you can't force brilliance. So, yeah, so Suicide Squad, which to go right back to Deadpool is they are now saying it's going to be an R-rated movie and all the things they had to cut out for a PG-13 I hear that David Ayer is now just slamming back in there I'm guessing that involved Killer Croc crocking people yeah I also, I also think the joke was well torturing people um, and maybe Harlequin I don't know, doing whatever she's going to do to people. It's, uh, I imagine she's going to kind of like, yeah, kill them in quite outlandish and yeah, spectacular ways. But also to skip back to what we were talking about earlier, this could be the film where Jay Courtney becomes 
we love Jay Courtney because he's such a charisma vacuum and it is one of those things where it just turns out that if you're if you're handsome in a very, very ordinary way and you and you don't laugh when you say your lines or look at the camera, you too can be a movie star and <laughs> And you're probably quite nice. Oh, I'm sure he's lovely. And, it's and, like... and to return to, uh, you know, to go back to the unaired, po- the unaired first take on the podcast of this, uh, you know, <laughs> it's probably really good in bed. Yes, and that's right. We yes, decided. we did. So we did do the life. I might even dig that out and just put it on as like an extra or something about the the life, our, our imagined secret life of Jay Courtney. In, or Jai Courtney. See, we just we we haven't even decided what we're going to call him. Um, you say Jai because it feels. I it feel is like Jai. It has, it has Jai, to be a Jai. It? There's there's an I in in it, so it's it's Jai Courtney. Another reason why I'm quite excited by this film is because this could be the film where I have a Damascus-like conversion to Courtneyism and. Uh, become only a and just become a devout follower of and Jai. reevaluate all his all films, his films. So, so far so you know we go back and relook at terminator genesis die hard uh, die hard um i mean he's he's fine in the what is it called a uh, reacher the jack reacher he's fine in it he, he yeah he's fine function. but he performs yeah but that's the thing is that he that could have been anyone could have been anyone um <laughs> So what else has he been in? Not that much. No, he's not actually. Insurgent, that's one that I thought. But again, it was one of those where... I, actually, Insurgent, I thought, who are you? I've seen you before somewhere. Then I realised he was the he was the guy from A Good Day to Die Hard and thought, heavens, oh, that's what you're doing now. Okay, that's fine. So, yeah, it's, it just seems like he is... I don't know, he still has to prove lots and lots of things in terms of being you know, where he is. But he's that bit in in the Suicide Squad trailer when he has to be really, really quiet, so opens that can of, I presume, beer really quietly and then takes a surreptitious snort of it just made me laugh so much. And it's like, okay, right, this could be the film where we, we have to re-evaluate... Well, he's, it's, him. It's, him, it's him playing a bogan. It's him playing... He is, he is playing a bogan, isn't he? He is just playing a great galar, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like who's somehow... Just in with this, you know, bunch of freaks, and uh... I mean, he's a, he's a he's a supervillain called Captain Boomerang. <laughs> so okay, without spoiling anything, because again, it's like you know, I don't know. It's one of those things. I with... think it's one of those self-explanatory things. I think it does what it says in the tin. He's got a bladed he's boomerang. He's got a bladed boomerang. So he's basically the feral kid from Mad Max Two. Yeah. Wow. But as a grown man. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that. That sounds alright. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's oh dear. And it's also one of those things where. Yeah, superhero films or superheroes in general, comics, you just realise no matter how much you read, there's always going to be more. And it's like, right, so Captain Boomerang is like a supervillain with like a bladed boomerang like in Mad Max 2. I love Mad Max 2. Why have I not heard of this? Because there's a ton of stuff out 80 there. 80 years of comic books. Yes. A bunch of, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And a lot, I mean, a lot of really amazing stuff, but also a lot of shit. Well, that's the and thing, they keep overwriting their own continuity. So, you know, every, every five years they go, well, that doesn't count. We're ignoring that now. And we might be ignoring that because something has happened in-universe. Or we might be ignoring that because we're just going, nope, 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 didn't exist, doesn't happen. Which is what Days of Future Past did with X-Men Last Stand. And it's like, wow, that's, so now you're doing that on, on a big screen. Um, I read something recently about um, superheroes and the modern-day myth. Yeah, and that always seemed... I mean, they were... They were talking about that kind of. That's always been the cliche, hasn't it? Like, yeah, these are the 
you have the Norse gods, these are the gods of Greek mythology, these are kind of... Uh, is, is this going it, back to... It the makes most, sense. Is this going back to the most primal version of storytelling, though? Is this going back... Well, not the most primal version, you know, that's dro- you know, daubing on cave walls with, you know, ash. But is this... Yeah, that's, is, is this that's going, the Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this going back to sort of ancient Greece and that sort of idea of mythic, epic, larger-than-life figures? Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where every every time... <laughs> to sound like a trailer every time needs its heroes and you I mean like your Thor every is literally taken from that time it's like yeah Thor is is one of the old Norse gods it's like so they are literally borrowing from there and um, so Aquaman is that not just you know Poseidon it's um, so yeah Superman uh, just Jesus isn't it <laughs> um, space uh, Jesus space Jesus yeah Batman well he's just cool isn't he so yeah he's He's just Batman. He's um, Batman. <laughs> had well, to come out at some point. It. It's, fine. Some point. It out. it's fine. But Wonder Woman, like, yeah, kind of um, Amazonian warrior, but isn't she just, you know, Bodicea? It's, uh, yeah, there are so many. I mean, these are, that's why we're always going to be excited by these and why they're always going to be around because these are just, well, I say they're always going to be around, but who knows, like a few hundred years from now, we'll be looking back on these the same way that we look at, you know, Odysseus or we look at, um, you know, Zeus or these. Um, you know, the gods of old and say, oh yeah, you know, Batman. Yeah, some of those is, are quite good. Is anything from, you know, from, from ancient Greece, you know, from you know, from the classic period of classic antiquity, just regarded as a bit shit? <laughs> like, do you think, you know, let's say, if it, digital media survives and th- millennia from now we're looking back on, you know, Fantastic Four and we don't have the immediacy of this being something to be critiqued <laughs> and something to be judged harshly, but people looking back and going, Oh, you know, I, I watched uh, Fantastic Four, yeah, you know, the other day, you know, the old, the old classic Fantastic <laughs> Four, and isn't it marvellous? Because people, were, you know, because they're bringing something to it. So I think you're right, and also I just want—I knew there was a fast runner. <laughs> I knew the Flash had uh, an Olympian antecedent, and it's Hermes, of course. That's right. Um, you're right. Yeah, that's but that's the thing, isn't it? You're thinking like, is anyone going to look back on this? I don't know, is anyone going to look, look back on this with wonder? Because we don't look back on the Greek and you know, Roman gods with any wonder. It's like, they were the, they were the stories of their time. But yeah, but like, the Greek and Roman gods wouldn't splash across a, uh, that's a right, screen in front of us. Well, then that also ties into, like, a lack of imagination. I can't, under, I can't imagine what is going to be entertainment experience 300 years from now. But will people be watching yeah, the films that are getting released yeah, this year going like, yeah, I'll try to watch those. Yeah, and they're all right, actually. They're, you know, they're not as hard as you think they'd be. <laughs> and uh... Yeah, that's the thing, you know, black and white, you know, silent black and white, black and white, colour. Widescreen. Widescreen, et cetera, et cetera. And Effects, wiring and... it straight into our brains and people are going, oh, watching things in the real world. Oh really? That's the thing—is it kind of like, yeah? Will it just be a complete, like, yeah, sensory um, immersion? Immersion, or will it be like an idiocracy where it's just a shot of an ass on screen? And for... really burst anger for yes, indeed, and uh, and they say it won eleven Oscars that year, including <laughs> best screenplay. <laughs> Who knows? It's, um, so again, it's like we've got to. Well, that was an interesting diversion. So, yeah, you see, idiocracy. You're not going to get that in every single uh, yeah, superhero podcast discussion. So, Suicide Squad. To me, it seems like a good thing that they're going to yeah, toughen it up and make it an R. Because the first trailer always seemed like it should be an R. Um, 
with the Joker kind of saying, I'm not going to kill you, I'm just going to hurt you real bad. It's like, there seems to be a certain element of danger here that you know is just, to put it, as you put it, like kind of um, a few minutes ago, a cock tease, because you're not going to deliver anything in like a PG-13 beyond what we've already seen with The Dark Knight. Um, if you give it an R, then an R-rated Joker, well, that might be quite interesting to watch to see just how far they go with it. And the closest that I say that we've had to the comic book Joker. Yes, indeed. Um, in terms of... Well, you, you in got, terms of the killing joke, I always uh, find that yeah, bit quite shocking ki- when he shoots Barbara. Killing joke is, is definitely a big influence. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of, you know... Cesar Romero as Cesar Romero as the Joker Jack Nicholson as Jack Nicholson as the Joker Heath Ledger as this sort of anarchic figure like a force of nature yeah force of nature but we you know we haven't had the scheming just clown prince of crime yes that's a very good point like yeah the um, the Joker in in the Dark Knight was not he was not doing it to score a big heist or anything like that it was kind of um it was because he wanted to completely you know, destabilize the established it was, order. Yeah, it was ideological. Yeah, in a yeah. way that you know, the Joker, you know, he wants He's an agent he, of chaos. Yeah, he wants you know, use Smilex gas to give fish smiles so that he could copyright them. <laughs> that's not, that's not that that copyright trait. That's not literally happened. You need to <laughs> look it up. It's true. Oh no, no, I have no doubt about that. It's um... also uh, when people used to, what was it? What was the turn of phrase that is now incredibly inappropriate? That I think I think you posted on Facebook recently. That that comes from Marvel or DC Comics. Oh um, yes, indeed. It's uh, so when you want someone to give you the lowdown, you uh, yeah. they have to give you the solid dick. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in a Captain America. Is it Captain America talking okay. to Iron Man? Yeah, and it's saying like, "Yo, I need you to give me some solid dick." <laughs> <laughs> thinking wow that's that you is... can't believe that was not slightly tittered at back in the day but apparently not um, or at least not by Stanley who uh, actually of course has his cameo in Daredevil um, in Daredevil in Deadpool and was a good one made yeah. me laugh and there was like yeah, a couple of the people in the audience recognised him and it was like hee bet that's one of his favourite cameos we're not going to spoil it here but I bet it's one of his his favourite cameos while we're on the on the subject of that, favourite Stan Lee cameo? Uh probably in Thor with the pickup truck. Thor yes, that was that was a really good one. Um Or or even or possibly Amazing Spider Man two. Is that Which was his one in Amazing Spider Man uh, two? Spider Man two, Spider Man one, one of the Amazing Spider Man where he's in the library and he's got the headphones on and the whole thing going on in the background. That's my favourite. That's that's the Amazing Spider Man one. That is really the only good moment in that film. That's a cameo that deserves to be in a much better film. I think we should quickly look at what's coming out next okay. year because this doesn't end. <laughs> this does not end. So, 2017, what have we got? Well, there's Gambit. Um, so, Gambit is Channing the, Tatum. Is Channing Tatum in his stab at a superhero franchise. Oh, sorry, there's one more this year, isn't there? There's um, a Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange with our favourite Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. As. Well, Stephen Strange. 
Stephen Strange, who was um, a surgeon before he was an arrogant surgeon before he was involved in the car accident that cost him the use of his hands. At which point, he travelled out to Tibet and studied with various mystics and gained access to certain powers. The mystic, in this case, I believe, called the Old One, being played by Tilda Swinton. The villain, in, the villain in the film, being played uh, being Baron Mordo, played by Chibatel Ijofor, and of course, Mads Mikkelsen ends as an as yet unknown role. The boy has done his homework. Of course, this is a slightly unusual, mystical, almost kind of like Alan Moore before Alan Moore comic book, isn't it? It's um, well, it's going to have to be. It's going to be the first. It's going to be the closest that Marvel's come to dealing with the notion of magic. Tilda Swinton as the ancient one. That was it. Right. This one directed by Scott Derrickson, who did Sinister, didn't he? Is um, yeah, and he wrote Ant Man, or was involved in the writing of Ant Man. Well, there you go. Then yeah, it's kind of. Oh, he might have even no. He might have he directed Ant. Might have directed Ant Man. He was involved in Ant Man in some capacity. Unless I'm going mad. I am going mad. He, he was might be going mad. Yeah, it's um. So he did Sinister. That was his um. Yeah, he did. Well, he did the Day the Esther Still, which is kind of like a superhero Jesus film. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's weird. He's not done... Yeah, so Sinister 2, he wrote that. He's, he's, a, he's a horror guy, which in a way ties in with the character. So that will be... It will be interesting to see what what he does with this. But um, but next year... That, oh, um, yeah, Guardians of, of the Galaxy Volume 2 is next year. For some reason, I thought that was this year. And then, of course, there's Wonder Woman. Spider-Man reboot. Yeah, is that is that still a that, thing? He might have pushed that back another year. That's Tom Holland. Yeah. Then there's Thor Ragnarok, which seems to have been pushed back a bit. It's... Yes, that might have been pushed back again. I mean, that's that's the Thor Hulk buddy road movie comedy with Kate Blanchett as the villain. Uh, let's face it, we're going to watch it. <laughs> Justice League Part 1, which God knows if and when that's going to happen. I'm sure that will very much depend on Batman vs Superman. And Fantastic Four was penciled in. Uh, Fantastic Four 2... But that has now gone the way of the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, there won't be a Fantastic Four too. Although I read that Fox would were going to give it to Marvel to kind of see what they could do with them and see if they can attempt a salvage operation. Yeah, indeed. It's um, it seems weird that Justice League is coming out next year. I don't think it will. No, it just seems yeah because you think well you've got your Wonder Woman film next year. You'll have had Suicide Squad. That's got Batman in it as well. I just think you need to land a few more of these characters. You need to do... They think the thing they're pushing it until after they've done the Superman... Oh, the Batman film. The Batman standalone. Even then, I'd say... I mean, like, yeah, I can see why they want to do it, but yeah, Aquaman is, is here for 2018. I would say that you need to land another one of your yeah, smaller characters before you do a big Justice League film, or, it, or they might not be able to be landed at all, because the big gamble that Marvel took was with Thor. Yeah, Thor was in no way... Well, everyone thought that Thor was going to fail. Um... It wasn't a, a sure thing at all. It actually turns out to be one of the best Marvel films, in my humble opinion. But it seems to me that DC of well, no, no, you're right. Um, a Suicide Squad is their Guardians, so and Wonder Woman. Well, maybe that's their Thor because they've had a crack at it so many times and and haven't been able to do anything with it. So yeah, maybe Wonder Woman will be their Thor. Um, hopefully, it's as good as Thor because uh, well, the potential's there, isn't it? But yeah, you'll be pleased to hear that this that we have superhero films up to 2020 at least including Cyborg is going to get his own film so there you go everybody's getting their own film <laughs> depending on the success of all the previous films yeah, that's right but that's okay right so to quickly finish off um, I always said that there would the superhero films would continue to be made until there was a big flop and Green Lantern came and 
lost two hundred million dollars, and and the superhero juggernaut didn't yeah, skip a beat. So this will just run its course, won't it? This is this is going to be like those musicals from the sixties again. After a certain period of time, people grow tired. Yeah, indeed. And we've had these for see, Iron Man was two thousand and eight. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, we're coming up to ten years of these now. But actually, no, if you think of um, you know, Batman Begins, is kind of well, I mean, even X Men. So X Men was two thousand. So let's say the X Men. X Men Two was when it kind of like yeah solidified because it was a it was a sequel as good as the original, and that was two thousand and three. So yeah, so we're over ten years of these films. Um, yeah, so that's interesting, isn't it? It's, uh, we are we could be halfway through the super um, through the superhero cycle. We'll have to see how it goes. Or it could only just be beginning. <laughs> and on that note, is there any other? Impersonation you want to do before oh, you God, say goodbye? Should we bane our way out? Should we bane our way out? Okay, then. Um, what will we do to people if they don't listen to this podcast? We will crash their plane! We'll crash your plane! Goodbye. Goodbye. Seriously, what the hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. Nothing really matters.